Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Carefree and Black Diaries podcast. My name is Shakira and I am the host here. If it's your first time hearing my voice, welcome to our podcast. Welcome to our little corner of the internet and the podcast world. Here on Carefree and Black Diaries, we talk about a range of topics from news, pop culture, politics, music, movies, and everything in between. But most importantly, we top it all off with a life lesson and hopefully I can share something that I've learned that you can also apply to your life. Now, if you are not new here, if it's your second time listening to an episode, if it's your 50th time listening to an episode, welcome back. You are already a part of our Carefree family. Thank you for staying in touch with us. Thank you for staying in tune with what we have for you. Now, I told you all last week that I was going to try not to flake, and I didn't flake. Here we are a week later. I'm on a roll, (laughs) two episodes in a row. But I promised you all that we will be back this week because it is the first week of October. So, of course, this is our, like, third year in a row, I want to say, third or fourth year in a row doing Blacktober. Now, if you are unfamiliar with what Blacktober encompasses, I take a certain topic that I feel, you know, needs to be explored a little bit more when it comes to the Black community, and we talk about it. That's basically what happens. So, this marks the first episode in our Blacktober series. Hopefully, I can cue some Halloween music right now. That's more like it. So I hope that you all enjoy this series. If you are unfamiliar with this, if it's your first time hearing about a Blacktober girl, what is that? I'm new here. I created a playlist on Spotify that has all of the Blacktober episodes I've ever done on the podcast. And I will link it in the description if you want to just go binge. You know, a whole thing of Blacktober podcast is there for you in the podcast description. But okay, let's get into some carefree updates. Okay, so before we get into our carefree updates, I want to tell you all about a few things that I have. So I have a alarm on my door that you can buy from any hardware store. You can just hook it to the inside of your door and you can put it on chime or you can put it on alarm. Um, If you can get your hands on one of those, please do so. They are relatively inexpensive. Also, I have what is called a portable door latch. And I purchased that off of Amazon. Those are also inexpensive. I want to say mine was like $8 and it works like a charm. And I'm saying that because recently the body of a college student was found in Florida. And apparently, allegedly, I have to say that um, she was killed by the maintenance man in her apartment building. And allegedly it was because she had been denying his Um, advances he was interested in her and she did not feel the same way about him so you know we always when we hear these stories we always hear people say women be more careful guys we have to be careful and I get that but at the same time it's not on the group of people the individuals that the harm is being done to to be more careful we can be as careful and as cautious as we can try to be but ultimately it's on the people doing the harming so men if someone does not feel the same way about you as you feel about them that's okay go find someone else who feels the same way i just never understood doing harm 
to another person. And I don't think I will ever understand that. So, ladies, those are two things that I have. Also, have some mace. You know, anything that you can have to further try to protect yourself, please do so. Um, there's also this amazing feature on Apple. I'm not sure if Samsung phones have it, but there is, it's called like a emergency alert or something like that where I can press my lock button on the side of my phone I think I press it three times fast or five times fast and it will call 911 so if you can set that up on your phone please do so as well like anything that you can do to protect yourself please do so now let's get into some other things Netflix released the trailer for a new movie called The Harder They Fall. It comes out in November, I believe, and it's starring my girl, Regina King. I am obsessed with Regina King. I'm sorry. I am. I love her. Um, it's her, Idris Elba, Jonathan Majors, who I am also obsessed with, um, Zazie. Zazie, Zazie Beats, who is on Atlanta. She's also in the movie. And I will say that I did read a few articles and a few posts about the casting in the movie because Zazie is supposed to play someone who was a real person. Her name was Mary Fields, a.k.a. Station Wagon Mary. If you follow my Black History Moments podcast, I am going to have the story of her life on there. And also, the person who plays Jonathan Major, not the person who plays Jonathan Major, the person who Jonathan Major plays in the movie, his name was Nat Love. I'm also going to have the story of his life on the Black History Moments podcast. But one of the concerns from people was that Zazie doesn't fit the image of what Mary Fields looked like, and they are correct. Um, Mary Fields was a darker-skinned woman. She was heavier set, and those of us who have seen Zazie, we know that she has a lighter complexion and she's thinner than Mary Fields was. So, you know, it raised some very valid questions about casting and how we are, you know, going about representing these historical figures. Like, we want to represent them accurately, even if it's in a movie like this, which is, I mean, I haven't seen it, it's not out yet, but I'm guessing because it's, we know it's not a play-by-play -play of their lives. <laughs> like, we know it's not that, but if we're going to depict these people, let's try to make it a little accurate, you know? Like, we're going to have children watching these movies and people that may have you know, never heard of a Nat Love or may have not heard of a Mary Fields. And so if they hear that these are real people, the idea may be that, okay, they look like Zazie Bees or they favor Zazie Bees and that wasn't the case. So very valid, very, very valid concerns. Um, casting is always, casting is always one of those funny things. Not funny, literally, but like just funny, like iffy. It's an iffy thing when it comes to movies like that. Now, something else that is coming out is Insecure, the last season of Insecure, season five. They released the trailer for it last week. I was hyped. So, okay, what do y'all think? First of all, go watch the trailer. If you haven't watched the trailer, let's just talk about it. So, the first thing that I noticed in the trailer was Kofi Sirbo. Kofi? Hmm. Kofi, if you're listening, call me. So, Kofi is... 
an actor. He plays Ralph Angel on the show Queen Sugar that comes on OWN. He was also um, in the movie with Jada Pickett-Smith and Queen Latifah Girls Trip. He plays like the young college student that Jada has a fling with. He's also in a movie on Netflix called Really Love. That's a really cute movie if you like romance movies. Um, So I noticed him in the trailer and I was like, is that Kofi? I had to run it back and watch it again because I love him. Hello. So I'm excited to see what, you know, what his role is in Insecure in this last season. I'm thinking it's going to be just like a cameo kind of thing. I don't think he's going to be like a love interest. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Who knows? I've been wrong before, but we're going to see. I've also, you know, I saw Kiki Palmer. I saw Condola had her baby, her and Lawrence's baby. Lawrence was on a plane like, Lawrence, where are you going? Um, I think they went to homecoming. Tiffany, Issa, Molly, you know, the whole gang, they went to homecoming. And something that was so real that they said in the trailer, and I cannot wait for them to kind of explore that a little bit more, is Issa was sitting on a panel for homecoming and she was saying like as she was sitting on this panel it made her realize like all the things that she hasn't accomplished and that is so real you know even graduating from FAMU you can go back to like your alma mater and you go to these panels these homecoming events and things like that and you see where all of these different people are and you're like wow I am far behind and you kind of feel like like you're not as successful as other people like that is so real so I cannot wait to see how they explore that more and I had one other update what was that last update oh I remember so there is a statue um it's George Floyd Breonna Taylor and Senator John Lewis there are three of them right next to each other. And I want to say they are located in Manhattan, New York. Relatively new statues. Someone painted, well, threw paint on George Floyd's uh, statue Sunday, I believe. Saturday or Sunday. Police said they have footage of the person who threw it. It was someone on a skateboard, but they have not and won't release the footage of who the person is that threw the paint. And I want to say I'm surprised, but I'm not surprised because we can't expect racism, deep-seated hatred for other groups of people and intolerance for people just because of their skin tone. Um, you can't expect that to disappear overnight. You can't expect that to end with the statue. Like, it's just not, it doesn't make sense. You know, so I'm not surprised. I'm not disappointed just because last year, you know, racism is one of those things that you always know it's there. It's like dust. It's like dust in your home, right? It's like it's there. You know, it's always there. Even if you wipe things down, even if you try to be nice and clean all the time, there's always going to be dust. There's always going to be dust. You're never going to be able to get 100% rid of dust. And so that's kind of how racism is to me. It's one of those things that I don't think that we can ever fully eradicate. Sorry, y'all, I got a text from work. So I don't think it's one of those things that we're ever going to be able to fully get rid of. It's just going to be there because this country was built on that. 
Okay, we can go back to Christopher Columbus who came and colonized the land that was not his to colonize. So, you know, that's how far back this goes. And it's not something that we can just like, here's a statue, all is well. No, not going to happen. All right. I just wanted to, you know, give my spiel on that because I was reading the article earlier and I try not to look at the comments, but I was reading some of the comments and some people were like, this is so disappointing. And I'm like, is it really like... Is it really, <laughs> you know? So, okay, let's have a break for our sponsor. And then we're going to get into the good stuff. Our topic of the day, our first installment in our Blacktober series this year. So if you are at all familiar with my other podcast, Black History Moments, you know that I usually cover people like this over on that podcast. But if you guys remember, that podcast actually started here when I would cover little known black historical figures um, during Black History Month. So I thought, you know, why not return to the roots and kick off Blacktober with an episode kind of like that? Um, don't worry, we're still going to have like our regular topics during Blacktober, you know, but just for this week, I wanted to talk about Uncle Tom's or more specifically the origins of the term Uncle Tom and how that association came to be a bad thing or, you know, have a bad connotation in the black community. You know, if someone calls you an Uncle Tom, <laughs> we all know that that's not a good thing. Like it means that that person is saying that you are doing everything you can to either throw another black person under the bus or you are censoring yourself to be more appealing or acceptable to white people or you're disassociating yourself from other black people in order to not be lumped with the majority right like I'm different from those guys you know look at me type of thing now if you've never heard the term before if you just google Uncle Tom right now and if you search far enough down you'll find articles and pictures of some people who have been called Uncle Tom over the past few years and you will also see the definition that says quote a black man considered to be excessively obedient or servile to white people or a person regarded as betraying their cultural or social allegiance so I'll be honest <laughs> this is honesty hour I am definitely guilty of calling people Uncle Toms. Guilty. I did that. Especially over the most recent years when we've had like this influx of media attention on the killings of black people and a shift in the media of what it means to be a black person living in America. I've called some sports commentators. If you've been here on this podcast long enough, I'm not going to say who the person is. But if you all remember, I have called a sports commentator, you know, an Uncle Tom when they sat on Sports Center and basically defended the murder of Breonna Taylor. It disgusted me. It still disgusts me to this day. I've definitely called a few rappers and some entertainers, Uncle Toms, who were in support of politicians that obviously had no regard for the state of black people in this country and those entertainers did not care about that all they cared about was dollar signs and how big their tax breaks would be so yes I have definitely said it <laughs> but when you know better you do better 
And now that I know, you know, the true origins of Uncle Tom, I know that those people don't even deserve that title. So I'm just going to share what I've learned with you in hopes that if you ever feel the urge <laughs> to call someone an Uncle Tom one day, or if your grandma or the deacon in the church or someone in the grocery store calls someone an Uncle Tom, you can kindly and politely educate them on why that's not historically accurate. All right, so boom. June 15th, 1789, we are in Portland Tobacco, Maryland, which is actually a real town, by the way, Port Tobacco. Port, I said Portland Tobacco, it's Port Tobacco. And it is in Charles County, it's Southern Maryland. And so it's a very, very small town. I'm talking population just under 3,000 people. Very small. But that's today. Now, back in the day, it was booming due to slavery. Okay. So there was a baby born into slavery on that day, June 15th, 1789. And his name was Josiah Henson. Now, being that he was born into slavery, of course, he saw firsthand the brutality of it and he experienced the damage that, you know, that institution had on the black family. When he was young, his mother was abused. She was, there was a slave master who was attempting to harm her sexually. Um, and you can basically catch my drift on that. And his father caught wind of it and he defended his wife by hitting the slave master and because of that he was beaten with 100 lashes and one of his ears was cut off and after that he was sold to another plantation now Josiah and his mother never saw his father again after that now also side note I know like I realized that hearing some of these things can be triggering to some people um, and some people may not feel comfortable hearing about some of the specific details of abuse that enslaved people were subjected to. But I don't believe in censoring these things because I think that we have to know what happened. I don't think that we can sugarcoat things like this um, just to make ourselves feel better about it. Okay, so carrying on. <laughs> After this, Josiah and his mother were separated, and he was sold to a child trafficker while this person uh, that he was with, I don't know his name, but while he was with that person, the child trafficker, Josiah got really sick. And so the trafficker exchanged Josiah for some horseshoeing work to a man named Isaac Riley. Isaac Riley was a gambler, and he was an alcoholic. His plantation was 12 miles from Washington, D.C., and that is also where Josiah's mother was. So when he was exchanged back to the plantation of Isaac Riley, Josiah was reunited with his mother and his health did improve. You know, while he was young, like many back then, he tried to attempt to learn how to read. And when Isaac found out about this, he was not happy. You know, they hated for enslaved people to learn how to read because reading is power. If you can read things, you can know things. You can know things that pertain to you that we may be keeping from you or we may be telling you something else, you know, and it's not really that. And if you can read and see that what we're telling you is a lie, then you can rebel. So they were not for enslaved people trying to learn how to read. But 
Isaac Riley, the slave master, he knew that Josiah was smart. He may not have been able to read, but he was great at leading people. And he did have like a certain charisma about himself. So Isaac used that, that was in Josiah, and put him in charge of selling the produce being grown on that Riley plantation. And so with this, Josiah learned how to run a business. He learned how to communicate with people like lawyers and politicians and ministers. And it was also a time for him to practice that charisma. And also he was said to have a sense of humor. So all of this was like practice to Josiah. So Josiah would travel between the Riley family farms, aka plantations, and once, a white minister told him that he should really raise money towards purchasing his freedom. And he did. He raised $350 by speaking at different churches. But Isaac, the slave owner, he tricked Josiah out of the money because, of course, he wasn't going to just let him buy his freedom. You know, he tricked him out of the money and he tried to sell him south to another plantation down in Louisiana. Now, Josiah really was not going for that, so he took his wife and his two children and headed north to Canada along the Underground Railroad. They walked more than 600 miles to get there, and I don't know about you, but, like, I can't imagine. Can you imagine walking from Miami to Atlanta? That's That distance, Atlanta to Miami, is a little over 600 miles, and you're walking with two young children you are constantly looking over your shoulder. That is a lot, okay? That's a lot. I commend them. I can't walk 10 miles without being out of breath, so power to them. So when Josiah and his family arrive in Canada, he, quote, helped start in 1841 a Freeman settlement, which was a settlement of free men and women, called the British American Institute in an area called Don, which became known as one of the final stops on the Underground Railroad. Henson repeatedly returned to the U.S. to guide 118 other slaves to freedom. It was a massively dangerous undertaking, but Henson saw a greater purpose than simply living out his life in Ontario, Canada. In addition to his service to the school, Henson ran a farm, started a grits mill, bred horses, and built a sawmill for high-quality black lumber. So good, in fact, that it won him a medal at the first World's Fair in London 10 years later. Now, before the Civil War, oh, end quote, <laughs> now, before the Civil War, Josiah met a man named Samuel Atkins Elliott, who was the former mayor of Boston. And he was later on, after this, he became a part of the House of Representatives. But Samuel was impressed by Josiah. So much so that he was like, hey, let me help you write a memoir about your life. And so they did. He helped him and they wrote this book. And the title of the book is called The Life of Josiah Henson, formerly a slave, now an inhabitant of Canada, as narrated by himself, and it was published in early 1849. So, one person who was truly taking, you know, a liking to this book was a woman named Harriet Beecher Stowe. And you may have heard her name before. She is known for being an author and an abolitionist. And a quote from a later edition of Josiah's memoir said this, I was in the vicinity of Andover, Massachusetts in the year 1849, where Miss Harriet Beecher Stowe resided. 
She sent for me and my traveling companion, Mr. George Clark, a white gentleman who had a fine voice for singing and usually sang at my meetings to add to their interest. We went to Mrs. Stowe's house and she was deeply interested in the story of my life and misfortunes and had me narrate its details to her. She said she was glad it had been published and hoped it would be a great service and would open the eyes um, of the people to the enormity of the crime of holding men in bondage. She manifested so much interest in me that I told her about the things of many slaveholders and the slaves in the region where I had lived for 42 years. My experiences had been more varied than those of the majority of slaves, end quote. Now, I'm about to skip ahead a little bit because I want you to be able to stick with me. I don't want to lose you amongst this. So long story short, Harriet wrote a book titled Uncle Tom's Cabin. And I think we've all heard of it, even if we haven't read it. Um, we've heard it mentioned, even in passing, a lot of us. And this book tells the story of an enslaved person, a.k.a. Uncle Tom, and how he was killed for not giving up the whereabouts of two black women. But it was obvious that Uncle Tom's story um, really paralleled Josiah's life a lot. So the book was so popular that at one point it was selling more copies than the Bible and the printing presses that were printing this book had to stay open 24 hours to meet the demand of the book sales. Now, people were not happy about this book, particularly those that were in favor of slavery. They would say that slavery really wasn't as bad as Harriet was depicting it in this book and they felt that the growing popularity of this book would start to sway people's support of slavery, which it did. Now, a quote from the Smithsonian Magazine says, Indeed, the backlash against the novel came rapidly and rapidly. Critics argued that Stowe's writing was far too emotional to impact events in the real world. After all, it was a novel. It wasn't based on facts, they said. And in any case, some said she'd overlooked many of the benefits of slavery, including... Romantic love between an enslaved woman and her master. End quote. Now get out of here. Oh, gosh. They drive me nuts. All right. So later, Harriet had to release another book because of all these critics saying that this is impossibly based on um, real enslaved people. Slavery is not that bad. You know, so she was like, OK, let me write another book. And this book was the key to Uncle Tom's Cabin. And she basically used that book to cite all of the real life stories and people that she drew inspiration for these characters from. And she made sure to make it be known that the character Uncle Tom was inspired by Josiah Henson. Now, one person who we all know who checked out the key to Uncle Tom's Cabin he checked out this book from the Library of Congress, and his name was President Abraham Lincoln. Now, I'll be honest, because I believe in honesty. I think honesty is the best policy. I don't think that Lincoln's Emancipation of Proclamation was entirely drafted because he just wanted to free black people and end slavery. I think that there were other political reasons um, involved in that decision and maybe one day I will share my thoughts in depth on that but for now we know that Lincoln had this book in his possession for 43 days he borrowed it on June 16 1862 and he returned it July 29th that same year 
This is the same time frame that the Emancipation Proclamation was being drafted. So whether or not this book was an influence on his decision, he's not here for us to ask him, but a lot of people say yes. That's how impactful um, this book was at that time. So, you know, me being me, while I was researching this and reading all of these texts about Josiah and the correlation between his life and Uncle Tom's life in the book, I kept having this one particular thought pop in my head. And that question was, since this book was so wildly successful, it sold so many copies, it's said to be one of America's first best-selling novels, was Josiah ever compensated for this? Was he given any money for this or any of the people for that matter, you know, that were used to help build this character world, right? Like, did they get some money? Like, I just kept, that was the one question I kept asking myself. So I come across this excerpt from um, Smithsonian and it's talking about Martin Robeson Delaney. And he was one of the first three black men admitted into Harvard's medical school. And he's an interesting character. You should actually look him up. And he was also the only black officer who received the rank of major during the Civil War. So Martin, he wrote Frederick Douglass. And this is the quote, right? So it says, Delaney suggested to Douglass that perhaps... Stowe owed Josiah something more substantial than a citation in her book. Quote from Martin, this is what he said, Since Mrs. Stowe and Jewett and co-publishers have realized so great an amount of money from the sale of a work founded upon this good old man whose living testimony has to be brought to sustain this great book, would it be expecting too much to suggest that they, the publishers, present Father Henson but a portion of the profits? I do not know what you may think about it, but it strikes me that this would be but just and right. I love how they talked back then. I love how they talked and wrote. It's like they could read you, but it's so tactfully done. Like you don't even realize that it's a read. Okay, so in other words, Delaney was talking to Frederick Douglass and he was saying, if they're going to be using this man's story, they need to cut him a check. And if I'm wrong, let me know I'm wrong, Frederick. But if I'm not wrong, tell me I'm not wrong. Like, that's basically what he was saying. And I 100% agree. Josiah republished his memoir and used that money to buy his brother's freedom. And when he was 87 years old, he went on a 100-plus city tour to speak to people and raise money to help his debts. There's something wrong about that to me. For an 87-year-old man to have to travel that much, a hundred plus cities to raise money. You know what I'm saying? He's 87. While someone else is profiting off of his story and sitting comfortably. But we still see that happening today where filmmakers, um, authors, and journalists will use the story of real life people who are marginalized and may not have the influence that they have. Um, to be able to use their stories and they make money off of these people and these people get little to nothing in return for that right so yeah that's another story for another day but how do we get here today right like how did Uncle Tom someone known for their bravery in the face of death um, someone who 
more than likely could have influenced the draft of the Emancipation Proclamation and also really helped push the abolitionist movement forward. Like, how could an, a character like that um, become known today as something so negative? Well, remember when I was telling you that there were people that were not happy about the book, right? Uncle Tom's Cabin. So many of those people who weren't happy about it, they inverted or flipped it on his head, turned it inside out, um, everything that this character stood for, and they made it something completely different. They would make these stage plays with white men who would dress in blackface, and they would play their version of the Uncle Tom character that would speak overtly bad English, who would have a hunchback, who would dance for the entertainment of the white characters in the stage plays and would be so dismissive that it's actually disgusting to think about. And so during an NPR interview, this was said, the producers of the early stage shows didn't think that they could attract an audience for the Uncle Tom as he was depicted by Stowe. They couldn't sell tickets to a theatrical production, the climax, which would be this man dying, rather than the revealing the whereabouts of these women. They could sell tickets, however, as they had been successful by showing blacks in menstrual depictions, showing them liking to dance more than they like to work, showing their insensitivity to each other, showing their willingness to tell the master or mistress what he or she wanted to hear. That sold tickets, and so those were the shows that they produced, staged, and circulated throughout the world. And then the person in response to this on the NPR interview said, you're saying that this was a, that some of these sort of producers were modifying the story to fit commercial aims. But could part of that have been just racism? They just didn't want to accept the fact that African-Americans could be heroic figures. And they didn't want to accept the brutality of slavery. I mean, there are slavery deniers, just like there are deniers of other, you know, genocides throughout history, right? And I agree with all of that. I agree with all of that. And I'm glad the interviewer took it a step further by saying that, you know, it was beyond just selling tickets. The Uncle Tom character was so distorted from its original intention because they wanted it to be, you know, like, why would we give light to a story about a black man having his own thoughts and standing up for himself and also standing up for black women? They weren't trying to have that portrayal back then. And so, unfortunately, these performances were so popular that they completely erased the original meaning of Uncle Tom and what he truly stood for, which was dignity, which was perseverance and the conviction to stand strong, like in the face of slavery. And so Josiah once said, quote, from that time to the present, I have been Uncle Tom and I feel proud of the title. If my humble words in any way inspired that gifted lady to write, I have not lived in vain, for I believe that her book was the beginning of the glorious end, end quote. Josiah passed at the age of 93. His funeral was one of the largest in Destin, Ontario's history. Singers came and sung, businesses closed for the service. Thousands of people, both black and white, showed up to pay their respects to him. And I would like for that respect to be restored. The respect for Uncle Tom that was written because of Josiah Henson. 
So the next time you think about calling someone an Uncle Tom or you hear someone calling another black person an Uncle Tom, just remember that those people that you're calling that don't even deserve that much admiration because in reality, Uncle Tom wasn't a villain. He was a hero. And that's all I have for today. I hope you guys learned something and I hope that you share it with a friend, a coworker, a student. And, you know, I'll see you guys next week. Stay black, stay carefree. Talk to you guys soon.